0: Hey, friends, just quickly, my new book, The Proof is in the Plants, is now available. Get it from plantproof.com forward slash book. Thanks so much for all your ongoing support, and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: As a broadcaster making hardly any money, I would gift friends and colleagues my banana bread, which is kind of like the one recipe that I had memorized. And it was kind of a recipe that I'd grown up with, but put my own tweaks on it. It got such great feedback that I kind of started thinking, wow, like maybe I'm onto something. And yeah, it just kind of blew up. It was an intense year where our apartment was kind of like a small commercial kitchen and it just grew and grew. Right now, I mean, it's been seven years for us. We have 110 customers. We deliver five days a week. have a delivery van and so we deliver to mainly cafes and like a few kind of market grocery store type places and i mean our, our big goal is really just to prove that there's no compromise when it comes to vegan baking vegan baking.
0: that's erin island and this is the plant-proof podcast Hey, beautiful friends. Welcome back to another episode. It's an absolute pleasure to be here with you. I hope that you've been keeping well. For new listeners, I'm Simon Hill, host of this show, nutritionist, physiotherapist, and author. Please do sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode.
1: grew up in North Vancouver. We have the mountains, we have the ocean, we have some beautiful beaches, and I'd say we're really known for the hiking. And I grew up basically at the base of Gross Mountains. So it was like a 10-minute walk to the mountain, and I would grow up going on runs in the in the forest with my dog, um, and just so many trails. Like, really, that's all there is there. We walked to elementary school. It was probably a 15-minute walk away, and my high school was one house away from my my home, so I'd roll out of bed like five minutes before class started and get there, usually late. Of course, the kid who lives closest to school is late. Um, uh, Sports is my entire focus up until the end of university, so I grew up playing all the sports, basketball, volleyball, tennis, cross country. In grade 11, I kind of got serious about seeking out a scholarship. I got a, a video of myself playing Volleyball made, and I sent it off to some schools in the States. And I worked out a deal. I got a scholarship to Winthrop University in South Carolina. I feel like deep in my gut, I, I always knew that I was never going to go to school locally. I was never really drawn to any of the local universities. And I was never really that homesick. There were There were periods, but it was a great experience. I loved the South. I loved the weather. I really liked the girls. I went down there on a recruiting trip, and there was another Canadian there, and she made me feel really at home and... The girls love to eat like I did. <laughs> I definitely grew up like being focused on food. And it was, it was a plane right away, you know? So I always felt uh, comfortable knowing I could just hop on a plane and go home if I wanted to. So, I mean, I was a good volleyball player, but I wasn't like national team caliber. I was like a second team provincial all star volleyball player. And so I went down there and it was really tough. It was really tough for me as a freshman. I, I sucked. I just like, I mean, I was the shortest girl on my team. I'm 5'8, but there were girls who were 6'3. Uh, so it was a bit of an eye opening kind of reality check for me. So I sat on the bench my whole freshman year, and that was really tough. So I kind of like stopped practicing in the front row. I stopped practicing as a hitter just to try to improve my defensive skills. And so from sophomore to senior year, I was a defensive specialist. <laughs> I was a defender, a digger, a, a passer. So that's what I did and and it I was glad to stay down there. I got back to Vancouver and I got an internship at CTV News station, one of the biggest news stations in Vancouver, and then I got hired after the internship was over and I started working as a teleprompter, working on the research desk and then I eventually started producing the morning weather and the traffic and I started doing some on-air rehearsals to do to like fill in for weather and the traffic, but then I realized that I really didn't care about weather and traffic and I could not fake enthusiasm for those Subjects. So I went on a trip and I kind of never came back. <laughs> well, I guess I, I, I canceled my plane ticket and I extended the trip by a bit. So it was supposed to be a 10-week trip. But while I was there, um, I wound up on this Italian horse farm doing woofing you dedicate half your day for room and board basically so you can search all the hosts and see like what kind of work is suitable for you and at this particular farm the jobs were feeding the five golden retrievers tending to the vegetable garden feeding the horses on the john deere it was a 40 acre property with like fig fig trees it was amazing i fell in love with the family we just totally clicked so i stayed there for way longer than i should have I stayed there until it got cold, and I had no more summer clothes, and I I realized it was time to go. So I was pretty lost at that point. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I kind of wanted to stay in Europe. So after Italy, I moved to London, where I kind of couch-surfed with a friend for two months. Then I eventually—my granny got sick, and that was a— all the reason I needed to go home. So I went home. I surprised my family. They didn't know I was coming home. And um, while I was there, I got this really great opportunity hosting uh, this super local entertainment news magazine show. And it was just like a really great in to the media industry. I met everybody and um, hosted this show for a couple months, got to do a lot of interviews. And it was really eye-opening for me because I realized I also didn't really have a passion for fashion <laughs> which is what the show was largely focused on uh, but there were a few segments that were focused on food where I got to interview like local celebrity chefs and those were the interviews for me that just flowed you know like I didn't have a cheat sheet I was just like speaking from the heart and loved it so much so, That helped me realize that I needed to fully dive into food. So I just quit everything else. I'd always been interested in food. I mean, I was on my volleyball team. I was known as the team garbage gut. Like, I just loved to eat. Like, it definitely wasn't refined. I was just always hungry. And in retrospect, I feel like it had a lot to do with the fact that I wasn't eating a lot of plants. Like, I ate a lot of animals. I always felt like the optimal diet was high animal lean protein. So, I mean, I would sit there and I would eat a full rotisserie chicken for dinner. I definitely didn't have an education on on diet and nutrition. The only rules the team had was no fried food and no soda. So other than that, they never focused on animal products. So I dove all into everything food. I started my website. It's todiefor.ca, which was just a food blog at the time. It's since grown into a bit more of like a Vancouver dining guide with categories and better tips. Um, I started writing a weekly food review column for Metro newspaper and a monthly magazine column. I started appearing on local talk shows, just talking about, you know, themed food, food stuff, restaurant reviews, that sort of thing. And things really went from there. And then at one point, I feel like the next big thing uh, in my career was starting the bakery business. There was no plan. I mean, I didn't even name it. It kind of named itself. Uh, Because my blog was called It's To Die For, Um, it was named as such because my goal as an eater was always to find the to die for food, like the extra delicious food. That's how I would describe it. So as a broadcaster making hardly any money, I mean, you definitely don't get paid at the beginning of your career in broadcasting. For the most part, I would gift friends and colleagues my banana bread, which is kind of like the one recipe that I had memorized. And um, it was kind of a recipe that I'd grown up with, but put my own tweaks on it. And um, it got such great feedback that I kind of started thinking, wow, like maybe I'm onto something. And thanks to Twitter, actually, Twitter was kind of like the social media platform back then. Yeah, it just kind of blew up. And I did a test bake sale. I put this order form on my website, and I said, okay, uh, order your banana bread, and you you can come pick it up between... Ten and two on Saturday, and I like I had to shut down the, the order form because I got so many orders, and I baked throughout the night. And I was like, okay, hey, are people going to put their money where their mouth is?" And everybody came to pick up, and there was just rave reviews. So it was just a good kind of test uh, for me to make me feel comfortable in moving forward to the business. So I started off with one cafe, and I was making one loaf at a time in my in my five hundred square foot apartment. And I always thought that small batch, meant one loaf at a time. Like I never even made four at a time, which is what my oven could fit. And I also wanted to make it by hand, so I never used a mixer like a KitchenAid or anything like that. Everything was made with my two hands. And I've since learned that you can still call it made by hand if you use a mixer. (laughs) But uh, it was an intense year where our apartment was kind of like a small commercial kitchen. And it just grew and grew. And to the point where um, I got a co-packer. So that means just like a bakery who kind of makes it for you under their roof with their employees that I trained. The good thing is there were no investments that really needed to be made. I was lucky to connect with um, a newer designer who did my branding for $400. So I didn't need equipment at the time either because of the low volume. And then the co-packer model um, also alleviates the need for any type of investment. So one of my best business tips that I'll give to young entrepreneurs is to not really make big moves right at the beginning, like stay agile, and just wait till you're certain before you dive in. Like to this day, I mean, I haven't even bought my own ovens. And I think it's overdue. Like I think we really need to. Right now we're in a shared space where we've been five years. And it's great. But um, yeah, we're like overflowing. I mean, we have Uh, how many, like five, six bakers in there at a time and we're in this plot, like within the shared kitchen and we share the ovens and I want to get my own ovens, like really good baker's ovens and right now, I mean, it's been seven years for us. We have 110 customers. We deliver five days a week. We have a delivery van and so we deliver to mainly cafes and like a few kind of market grocery store type places and I mean, our, our big goal is really just to prove that there's no compromise when it comes to vegan baking. But when, when the company started, it wasn't vegan, because I wasn't vegan yet. So the very first seed that was planted for me was watching Forks Over Knives, which I think was like a spark for so many people. It's such a great documentary. Then from there, it really was kind of connected to my food blogging. And um, I started really gaining traction in that area. I started getting more followers. People were taking my recommendations. And I started realizing that I was having an impact. And I started to think about what I was promoting. You know, like, I, I, I was promoting these animal products and, you know, anything that I was sharing. And so I decided to learn a little bit more about it. And so I dove in, started watching the documentaries, and I was horrified. So eventually, I think the really, like, the last straw for me was watching the film Earthlings, which everyone needs to see. Earthlings or Dominion, they're both so powerful. I always remember, like, the beginning of my transition started in 2012, actually. But in 2013, I posted um, a blog on my site called 10 Reasons to Consider Becoming a Flexitarian. And in that introduction, I stated that I had eaten meat 10 to 15 times in the past year. Um, and then I go on to list all these reasons to like reduce meat or at least to focus on where your meat came from because at that point I was still under the impression that you could find humane meat. There is this weird phase where I believed that I could like offer both, where I could offer a vegan line and still have – the old stuff, that I would encourage everybody to go vegan, but for those certain customers who just wouldn't do it, I would still offer the original product. I remember somebody telling me that there's no humane way to kill someone who doesn't want to die, and that was like a huge light bulb going off for me. I mean, I was always sharing that we were using these awesome cage-free eggs. I thought they were fine, and then I realized um, that... Male, like millions of male chicks are killed every day they're ground up or suffocated when they are one day old and they're a byproduct of the egg industry so right off the surface it doesn't seem like there's violence it doesn't seem like it's cruel but um, these babies are being ground up anyways I fortunately had this realization that there is no there is no such thing as cruelty-free animal products and so we decided to go all in with the vegan products. And fortunately, it was so easy to make the banana bread vegan. It was the replacement of the eggs, basically, and then switching to a dairy-free cho- chocolate, which is super easy. So I think I was pregnant with Rowan at this time. So... Um, I hired an amazing local chef uh, to work with me as a consultant, and she did the experimenting. Her name is Karen McCarthy, and so she helped me figure out that recipe. And it works like a charm, and nobody knows. And I have my most, like, you know, animal food-loving customers and oldest customers just, like— exclaim that you cannot tell the difference and so a lot of people say it's even better the thing is we didn't really announce it I just wanted to transition over not tell anybody I actually sent a, a mass email to my customers and I said we're changing a few ingredients see attached <laughs> and I didn't even make it a big thing I was kind of worried about some of my bigger more mainstream customers and nobody cared so it was, it was a great thing for the business and things, I mean, obviously my passion was like reignited and so I started focusing, focusing on it more and um, I mean, things have only improved. One of the hardest things for me is just being able to delegate. I mean, even handing off the baking to somebody else, I never felt like anybody could do it the way I did it, even though that's silly. Of course they could, but it was a control thing that it was really hard for me to let go of. I mean, I'm not a trained baker, and so I feel like I have some like weird little tricks that I do with my baking, and I actually had some bakers that I hired who were trained, and they would say, oh, no, we have to do it this way. Like This is what I learned in school. And I would say, no, no, this is how we're going to do it. This is how I've always done it, and this is what works. And I really feel like the banana bread is something special. Like, I've, I mean, obviously I'm incredibly biased, but I've never had better banana bread. And a lot of people say the same. And I really feel like it's because of some little tricks. <laughs> this is the first holiday that I have really tried to stay off my phone a little bit because um, historically on vacation, like, we travel based on the vegan friendliness of a city and so I'm always sharing and wanting to create like city guides and recommendations Um, but I've noticed it really does take time away from my family but at the same time like my biggest passion is raising awareness about the importance of eating plants and specifically what's happening to animals. To be honest, I can't think of any major hurdles. Um, even socially, I think that friends in general are, are more just like interested and inspired about what, what we're eating. So if we have friends over for dinner, you know, we're going to make a plant-based meal for them. And they're just like curious, like how, how do you make it taste so good? Because unfortunately, I feel like there was this first wave of vegan food and vegan products that was kind of 1.0. There just wasn't much flavor in there and texture was funny and especially like 1.0 round one, vegan cheeses weren't that good, but they've come so far. And so I really felt like friends were just um, interested in what we were making, and they would ask for the recipes. So, I mean, I really don't feel like there were any hurdles. I also hear from people that they think that vegan cooking is harder, and I am the biggest advocate against that. I think it is so much easier. I mean, for one, when you go to the grocery store and you have vegetables and non-animal products, you don't have to race everything home to get them in the fridge. You know, like you can just leave them in your car. They're fine. They're going to, you know, they're not going to go bad. They're not going to go rancid. Number two, you don't need precise cooking times and temperatures. Like I wouldn't know how to cook a roast or a steak or a filet. Like I'd probably ruin it or overcook it or it's so much more fickle, right? I mean, vegetables, chuck them into the oven. Any temperature, wait till they're golden. And third, the bacteria. Like you don't have to worry about scrubbing your cutting board and, you know, cleaning your knife and then sanitizing your scrub brush. Like, there's no fear about cooking in the kitchen with vegan food. It's safer. The main nutrients that the babies are needing, they get it through their mother's breast milk. And so Rowan was breastfed for 19 months, but she started solids at around six months. And I think that so many baby foods are naturally vegan. So it was really, really easy. And then there are some supplements like vitamin D, Um, But other than that, I mean, she lives on broccoli. (laughs) I mean, she she actually lives on broccoli and tofu. And I think those two foods alone, like with a little squeeze of citrus, she's getting like pretty much everything. At three months of age, she stopped breastfeeding in the day. She would only breastfeed at night. And then at around eight months old, she stopped breastfeeding altogether, and she just took it from the bottle. So I pumped like five times a day to get her the milk. And then she stopped altogether at 19 months. We kind of like whittled it down to this point where she was – not even really needing it. She did not like avocado to start. That's the one we started on. uh, And now she eats like one to two avocados a day. She's such a little avocado monster. But she really liked um, just like baby cereal. Also, nut butter. She like... Eats nut butter by the spoonful. But tofu is her favorite. We say, what do you want for dinner? And she asks for tofu. And she will eat it plain. I was really picky as a kid, so I really hope she doesn't follow in my footsteps. But I do think it's up to the parent to expose them to stuff. And she loves, um, like, pickled things, like garlicky pickled things, like some fermented food. She loves kombucha. I've heard from so many moms that their kids actually don't even like meat, Um, and they're inspired by some of my Instagram stories of Rowan eating, where she's having the tofu and the broccoli, and they're realizing that their kids can get all their protein and their iron from non-meat sources. I feel like there's almost this instinct in a child, like they gravitate away from it. I've heard that from so many moms. Even when they're pregnant, I've heard a lot of pregnant ladies say that they just, they're totally, they have aversions to meat during pregnancy. We have definitely saved money going vegan. Our grocery bills are way lower. I mean, of course, if you're getting some of the fancy stuff, like you're going to the fancy vegan cheese shop, those items are more expensive, but they're just as expensive as a fancy dairy cheese. I mean, dairy cheese is expensive too. So some people will see, like, I, I love to try, like, new vegan cheeses and cool vegan products and And people might get the impression that it's expensive or we're spending a lot of money, but that's really just special occasion stuff. It's unfortunate that there's a stereotype that vegan food is expensive because many of the world's third world countries are vegan because they can't afford meat. And I mean, they're living on rice and beans. So I could give you a list of cookbooks and a list of like vegans to follow online, products to buy. But I really think that the most important thing you can do is really discover the why. And you need to know why you're doing it because once you're motivated, it'll be so easy to go vegan. You will just be internally inspired to like find those items yourself and do the Google searches online because the information really is out there everywhere. So if you want to go vegan in five hours, you need to watch Calspiracy, <laughs> Earthlings, or Dominion, and What the Health. And you will be so inspired. You will just see how damaging the animal agriculture industry is for the environment. You'll see how healthy a plant-based diet is for our bodies and human health and longevity, lifespan, etc. And you'll also just see what's happening to animals. I mean, when I watched Earthlings, I was just blown away by what's happening to them. I mean, I really thought that there there was like an ounce of compassion or, um, you know, I didn't think it was as bad as it is. So my mission in life has really become to raise awareness about the importance of eating plant-based food um, and to avoid animal food. So I would say that my daily activism might not seem like activism. I think they're all different kinds of activism, but mine would be um, step-by-step cooking stories. I think that people would be so surprised to see how easy it is to cook vegan. I remember I started doing a cooking story um, making homemade almond milk, and I, I was kind of thinking this might be boring. Everybody probably knows how to do this. So I started the process and then, and then I stopped, and I, I like wasn't even sure if I was going to finish it. and then I started getting messages from people saying, "Finish the almond milk. Like what's happened with the almond milk?" <laughs> I think my nuts were also soaking, so I had this like gap. but um, I kind of realized, "Wow, people are really interested." So I finished the almond milk, and to this day, it's like in my top three shared or most commented or most popular stories. Um, I I constantly have people tagging me just saying that they've tried my almond milk recipe, which is just a really basic recipe, but um People, I mean, the main feedback was that they were so surprised at how easy it is to make your own delicious homemade almond milk. So I I really like to show nightly what we're eating for dinner. People are really curious, like, what are you actually eating for every meal? So I just like to show that. So I I like to show what I ate in a day. I just, I really want to share and just show people I'm passionate on showing how easy it is Um, and just also giving people ideas on what to eat because I go through those phases too where I'm. Blanking out. I don't know what to make, and it's just nice to be able to scroll or check somebody's stories and see what they're making. So, yeah, and I, I feel pretty inspired when it comes to what to make. Like I'm always looking at food stuff, so I kind of have this list of things that's that I want to make, and um, and a lot of what I make doesn't involve a recipe, which I think can be a deterrent for some people if they feel like they constantly have to menu plan and they have to actually have the recipe in front of them and they have to go. To the store. I like to show how, like, I'll come home, I don't have a plan, I'll look in the fridge, I have two potatoes, I have a box of spinach, and I have some, like, leftover quinoa, and how I'll throw that together and kind of make a meal that looks like dinner. I just want to say that, you know, all of us are influencers. Whether you have 50 followers or, you know, 50,000 followers, I think that what you share and what you put out there has an impact. Um, So I think it's really important to, you know, share as much plant-based food as possible. And yeah, just remember that when you're sharing, just because you might not have thousands of followers doesn't mean you're not influencing your friends and your neighbors and your family.
0: There we go. I hope you found that interesting, instructive, illuminating, and clarifying. Of course, if you did, please share with your friends and family on the socials. The more people that we can help together, the better. And while you're there, make sure that we're connected. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at plant underscore proof. Quick one before I let you go. I am often asked what supplements I take. Probably one of the most common questions that I get actually So I finally got around and created an in-depth supplement guide, totally free, that you can download along with a bunch of other free guides at plantproof.com. Inside, it contains information about daily supplements for everyday wellness along with performance supplements. The daily supplement that I personally take is a multi-nutrient called Essential 8 by NutriKind. This is a product I formulated for NutriKind alongside their team that specifically contains the eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall a little short in. Omega-3s from algae, B12, vitamin D3 from mushroom, iodine from seaweed, calcium, zinc, selenium, and iron. The right forms in the right doses to complement your plant-rich diet. To find out more or subscribe to a monthly delivery, head to NutriKind.com, that's N-U-T-R-I-K-Y-N-D.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off your purchase. So in summary, grab a copy of the supplement guide at plantproof.com And if you are in the market for a daily multi-nutrient to cover your bases, head to NutriKind.com and use the code PLANTPROOF for 15% off. On that lovely note, it's time to bring this one to a close. Thank you so much for hanging out with me and for your ongoing interest in evidence-based nutrition. I appreciate you and I look forward to repeating it all again in a few days' time. Until then, remember... More plants, my friends, more plants.